1: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door
2: with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends
1: who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw,
2: in-depth conversations with the all-time greats. Like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere.
1: It's our last episode before the regular season, and we are getting ready on Roto Viz Radio. Hey everyone, welcome on Into RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz, joined by Matthew Friedman, the Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. We are brought to you today by DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket, Underdog, Bet Online, and the FFPC. All right, so a uh, quick note here, Matt. Um, as you might be able to tell, I am on the road again, so the audio is going to sound a little bit different, but the good news this time is we will not have a group of wild children parading around behind me, making quite a ruckus.
2: That's great. No one, no one else knows what you're talking about. They don't remember it.
1: You don't think so? You think it was that unmemorable?
2: Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, what, at least like three weeks ago? Yeah. Probably longer. (laughs) Yeah. No, people. I mean, and we're in plague times. No one remembers that.
1: Okay, you're probably right. Um, The other thing before we actually get into what everybody is probably here for at this point with this season actually approaching, when people listen to this, they're going to be about three days away from real NFL football. But I want to know, Matt, this is a ridiculous question for you. If you could own one of the following animals and you have 100% certainty that as the owner of this pet, they won't hurt you or anyone else. Which one of these do you choose? A bear, a tiger, or an eagle?
2: Okay. I, of course, have to ask some questions. Yeah. When you say 100%, it won't hurt me, does, yep. that, does that mean that, like, no matter what I do, it won't hurt me? Or does that mean, like, as long as, like, I behave like a reasonable person, it won't hurt me?
1: As long as you behave as, like, a reasonable person. So think of this, okay. like, you know... As owning a dog, where you know, some dog owners have like 99.9999% trust with the dog. Think of it like this.
2: Uh, Okay, I'm, well, I'm going to sort of ignore what you said. I think I would want a bear, and it's not as if this is the only reason why, but as long as you could guarantee that it actually really wouldn't hurt me, uh, and the bear had sort of like control of its paws. I feel like it could like do a really awesome job with its bear paws of like scratching my back. Uh, I don't think a tiger could do that, and I really wouldn't trust an eagle to do that. But I think a bear, if it's just if it just gently presses its paw against my back, it could uh, it could get that sweet spot. Okay, um, you
1: know, oddly be enough. I had a feeling the second that you said you were about to start asking questions, that might be where you were going. Um, I think there's a lot of pros and cons to them, but I'm not surprised you went bear. This is a really tough decision for me, but I think it came down to there's just something about, like, a bear just lounging around the house and, like, watching TV with it that just seems pretty cool. When I was a kid, I, I feel like like a tiger. Be, yep, go ahead. Yeah,
2: I feel, I feel like a bear can be super cuddly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, different in a way than a tiger could be cuddly. Yeah. Like, a bear, like, I could just sit on a bear's lap and, like, basically just put its arms around me, and I would be ensconced in bear. You can't really do that with a tiger.
1: No, you can't. You definitely can't. All right. You ready for uh, this week's FFPC stat attack now that we're actually going to get into football? Yeah. 46.8 points, nine receptions, 198 yards, three touchdowns. That was Sammy Watkins' 2019 Week 1 stat line. Who does Matt think will dominate in Week 1 of 2020? We will ask him that in a minute. But I want to remind you that the FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we've got a handful of tools at Rotobiz designed specifically for FFPC domination. Uh, Matt, do you have any guys for week one that you expect to explode?
2: Yeah, uh, this answer might be kind of generic, but uh, I'm going to go with another guy who exploded in week one last year, and uh, that was Deshaun Jackson. And uh, he actually has basically not exactly the same matchup, but he's going against Washington once again. Uh, Last year he had eight receptions for 154 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, And the matchup is really good. Uh, Washington does not have a good secondary, especially the cornerbacks. And uh, Deshaun Jackson, specifically, I think he's going to be matched up against Fabian Moreau for most of the game. And uh, Moreau is not a good cornerback. In his uh, three years in the league, he's had PFF coverage grades of 42.2, 58.3, and 56.4. And uh, I just think Deshaun Jackson has the capacity to smoke him entirely. And it helps that I don't think uh, we're going to see Alshon Jeffrey uh, and maybe not even Jalen Rager in that game. So Deshaun Jackson really could be like the true number one wide receiver uh, in week one.
1: Yeah, um, that I think is a pretty compelling case, makes a lot of sense. And we know that Jackson's the type of player who is prone to having games like that. I was a little worried you were going to say Christian McCaffrey when you said you were going very generic because he scored 42 last year in week one, and that's where I thought you might be going, and I was not going to be happy. The player, I'll float out there, and this is kind of like there's two things going on here for me. One, it fits the narrative that I'm hoping for and would set the tone for this player for 2020, and also, like Jackson, he's the type of player who can do this, and I'm going to go with Will Fuller starting off the season with a bang and an absolute shootout on Thursday night. Uh, Will Fuller, you know, putting up 45 points. Uh, seems reasonable to me.
2: Uh, who are the Texans playing against? Oh, yeah, sorry, 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 the Chiefs. They're
1: playing so, yeah. the Chiefs, so that Thursday. feels like a yeah, game yeah. that could get out of hand.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the it has a, a week high over under 54 points, so you can definitely see how it goes there. Yep. All right,
1: um, but before we get ahead of ourselves here, moving into week one, I know that you posted a very lengthy feed on Twitter, but your final, kind of like your generic 2020 draft strategy, I'm sure that we can kind of tease out our listeners, Ken, what your overall strategy is, but run us through what you actually put up to the world.
2: Uh, okay, so if I'm picking, you know, in the first half of round one, I want a running back. Basically, I just, I want... McCaffrey, Barkley, Zeke, Kamara, edwards alaire Henry, or Cook, if I can get them. Um, if not, then you know that sort of changes the strategy. I think I'd rather go wide receiver, wide receiver, or wide receiver tight end uh, towards the back half of the first round. Uh, out of the running backs in the running back eight to fourteen tier, Austin Eckler is the guy who stands out to me uh, around the two three turn. Uh, I'm probably wanting to go with James Conner, Kenny Galladay, or Mark Andrews. Uh, Conner is someone I really want. Um, in the third round, Chris Carson or Amari Cooper is standing out to me. Um, rounds four to six. That's really where I want to just hammer a uh, wide receiver, specifically these guys who stand out. Juju Smith-Schuster, Cortland Sutton, Calvin Ridley, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Terry McLaurin, and T.Y. Hilton. Um, And then Cam Akers, specifically within that range, if I'm not going with a wide receiver or even if I get two wide receivers, I want to try to get Cam Akers uh, for obvious reasons that we've talked about before. Uh, And then after that, I'm just looking for upside. Um, If I don't get a top three tight end, then I'm happy to wait till uh, 12 tight ends are off the board. And it's a similar situation with quarterback. I'm looking to wait and specifically target Cam Newton. If I can't get him, then I'm fine with Ben Roethlisberger or, you know, someone similar uh, in the later rounds. But, uh, you know, really, in rounds one through six, I want to get, um, you know, two to three running backs. Hopefully one or two of them can be James Conner or Cam Akers. Uh, I want to get, you know, two to four wide receivers at least two of them I want to come from rounds four through six. Uh, If I get a tight end, I want it to be Kelsey, Kittle, or Andrews, and I am not taking a quarterback. And then after that, again, just shooting for upside.
1: All right, so this opens a couple of key questions for me. We're almost going to work in uh, reverse here. I'm going to assume that the reason you're targeting Cam Newton heavily is that you don't really have to pay any type of premium for him, and if he doesn't work out then you just make your move to get a guy like Ben or pull anybody in off of the waiver wire, just really going for that upside on Cam?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's the classic late-round quarterback that I've identified as someone who I think has a decent chance of starting you know, most of the games this year uh, and potentially, if things break right, to be a top-five quarterback. So, yeah, he's the perfect kind of guy I want. Yeah, I'm
1: in the same place there with you. And like I've mentioned on the site, my subjective projection for Newton isn't really that great. But that's largely because it's hard for me at this point to really pencil him in for a high volume of carries and assuming, you know, a lot of efficiency and rushing touchdowns. But we all know if those do come to pass, there's going to be a lot of points for Cannes. Your top three tight ends, you left out Zach Ertz. I think I have to ask the here, question here. You know, when you were talking about Deshaun Jackson, you talked about other players missing time. That doesn't somehow uh, raise Zach Ertz up your board to the point where he's in this tier with Andrews, Kelsey, and Kittle?
2: Yeah, it probably should. One of the things that's just a little bit different is that Ertz is going in, like, the round four range for, like, in a lot of leagues, and that's where I, like, really just want to go wide receiver. So, like, as good as Ertz is, it's just a situation where uh, it just, like, I can't get everything I want, and I'm going to prioritize wide receiver at that point. Plus, um, I know that, in theory, Ertz should, like, stand benefit from all of the other guys being out, but Rager might return at some point. I don't know. I'm just – he's getting older. Like, maybe I'm just sort of planting my flag on the wrong thing here, but I'm just kind of, like – I'm. I don't want to say I'm done with Ertz, but I don't know. I think the decline is happening, and I could see Dallas Goddard getting a lot of the targets that in previous seasons would have gone to Ertz.
1: Okay. Um, I talked about this with Mike Randall on the mailbag, but I believe, and I might get my dates inverted here, but I'm pretty sure last year he was number one in uh, expected points per game in the tight end position, number two the year before that, one- The year before that and then like two and three the years before that uh i suppose though if you are seriously worried about goddard taking away some of that share then those numbers might not mean as much to you let me let
2: me put some numbers to this so you know in 2018 when he had his best season ever he had 156 targets Last year, I was expecting regression, and it did come a little bit, but he still had 135 targets, which was the second highest total of his career. Um, I think he's going to be closer to the 112, 106, 110 target totals that he had in 2015 uh, to 2017 than he is to the 156 and 135 that he had the last two seasons. Uh, I just think through some sort of combination of Jeffrey maybe being healthier than we think, Rager maybe being healthier than we think, Deshaun Jackson playing more games than people expect, uh, Ortega Whiteside developing more than people expect, and then Dallas Goddard really starting to eat in to the opportunities that he has. I just think somehow everything conspires to where Dallas Goddard does not have 130 targets once again.
1: Wait, you mean to where Zach Ertz doesn't have... Sorry, Zach Ertz. Yes, to where Zach Ertz
2: does not have 130 targets. Okay.
1: Um, All right, so kind of in line with that, the, the last thing I'll ask about this too is couldn't you also kind of spin this thought process differently because Ertz is getting pushed to the fourth and that's maybe where you want wide receiver? You could try and perhaps you think it's too risky to move, you know, to flip those picks, grab your wide receiver earlier on and then get Ertz in the fourth.
2: No, I I like the value too much for the wide receivers going in the fourth round. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm good with, uh, and also like, I don't know. Why does the value matter,
1: though? Why does the value matter? Like, in, in a construct like that, where you're maneuvering things around, I would think that you'd be looking for the optimal approach there versus just getting the value.
2: Yeah, but I want to try to take guys where it makes sense, like, within the market. Like, I don't, I'm don't, i not going to take Ertz in the third round when he's not routinely going in the third round. Like, if I want him, I should try to take him in the fourth round. You know, like, I'm just – but the thing is, I don't have the faith in him to be the guy this year exactly that he was last year. Okay. Like, especially, right. Especially because I would rather wait and get Noah Fantz, who I think could do a decent job of approximating what I might get out of Zach Ertz.
1: All right. Um, You know, I was a little bit down on Ertz compared to these other guys earlier in the year. I've come back up higher. That's an interesting way that you're kind of framing this in your head. I am just going to let people know that I'm not in that same line of thought for you. I may not push for him hard in the third um but I would be loving if I could get him in the fourth. So we'll frame it like that. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about was you mentioned Chris Carson as a guy that you would like in round three, I believe. Is that what you said?
2: Yeah, I would be satisfied if so, I got him in round three.
1: Yeah, so we know that there was reasons I liked Carson a lot earlier in the year. does very well in the range of outcomes tool. Seattle has an offense where even if another running back is getting used, you can still have a good season for Chris Carson. There's a track record there. People had been worried about the injury. Dr. Jeff Budoff wrote an article for us breaking down why it's probably not as serious or as impactful for him as other injuries that we see for players, but I feel like some people have remained a little bit lower down. For you, why does Carson get into that conversation in round three?
2: I think he just has a, a pretty high floor, and then, and then part of it is the offense that he's in. Like We know that they're going to run the ball. Uh, I think he's going to have a decent opportunity to score touchdowns because he's in a Russell Wilson-led offense. Uh, and then really he's like one of the last running backs where it's like kind of a point of no return. Like if I don't get Carson and I missed out on uh, James Conner, then like I'm looking down the teeth of like Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Todd Gurley. It's like, I mean, part of it is like, I'm okay, I'm happy getting Carson, but part of it is like, he's one of the last running backs you can get that you can probably feel decent about.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the interesting thing for me has been, and I've been drafting in a ton of leagues lately. Um, so I, I've decided, you know, on some level of my teams, I do want to go with an approach where I'm not just going zero running back the whole way through. Cause I have enough teams that that just doesn't make sense. And um, also, as I've talked to some people, there is something fun about having these running backs because they get so many more opportunities if you have the good ones in a game than your wide receivers will. Um, And I've actually been having trouble now in a lot of these leagues trying to target Jonathan Taylor or James Conner in round three like I had been, you know, maybe a month and a half ago. They're now moving up in round two. So I'm actually, to your point there about Carson being one of those last guys that you would have interest in I'm having trouble getting a running back in round three so I've almost just been stuck going with a running back in round one and round two and then even if I'm trying to go like with a beefy running back roster I just can't do it
2: yeah and, and that's honestly like part of the situation with with Ertz like I'm not going to take Ertz if I can take James Connor or Chris Carson, or Amari Cooper. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to. Like, I I am much more optimistic on Cooper than I am on Ertz. And then, like, Connor and Carson, it's just like, it's a position of need relative to the running backs I can get later.
1: Okay, when you frame it like that, I'm a little bit more on board. Uh, A couple more things that you touched upon there that I want to hop back into in a minute. But first, let's take a quick word to hear from one of our sponsors. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your delivery and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. So in that vein, Matt, of this strategy that you have, is there a particular player that you'd like to get into this plan that you have for yourself? But for whatever reason it doesn't seem like it's realistic and you're going to end up having no exposure to this player, even though you wish that you might be able to find a way that you could.
2: Uh, no, not really. I mean, I guess part of it is if Connor starts going earlier or if Cam Akers starts going earlier and in, in a lot of sharp leagues, they are going earlier, but in, you know, like your sort of basic like work or like friends and family leagues, like those guys are still going a little bit later. So in a lot of leagues, I still think it's possible to be able to take them. The same thing with uh, Will Fuller and Michael Gallup. I would really like to be able to get one of them in round Mm -hmm. seven. Uh, In sharper leagues, now they're more routinely going in round six, whereas like, you know, a couple of months ago, you could get Will Fuller like in round nine in a lot of leagues. But, you know, but in again, like in softer leagues, you can get those guys in round seven, round eight.
1: Mm, Okay. For me, it's Austin Eckler because I'm just not getting a draft position, and I'm only going to be playing in two more leagues now. I only have two drafts left. Uh, I just have not drawn a draft position where it's feasible. So I'm either landing in one of the top five, which is fine getting, you know, one of those top-level running backs, or I'm at the point where I'd rather go maybe with Michael Thomas or George Kittle or Travis Kelsey in these tight end premium leagues. Uh, So unless I draw a particular spot, I'm probably not going to end up with Echoler, which will kind of bum me out. Um, as far as late-round wide receiver options go, for me, one of my favorites is LaVisca Chenault. But who do you think yeah. might be the best late-round wide receiver option?
2: I don't know. I mean, I guess it just depends on how how late you want to go in the draft. Like Marvin Jones in round nine or 10 is someone who is intriguing to me. Like I think he's a pretty decent arbitrage on um, Kenny Galladay. Um, Deshaun Jackson, who we talked about earlier, really stands out to me, although I imagine that he's starting to move up the board in sharper drafts. Um, But, yeah, Chenault, uh, he's there for me. He's like the guy that I really want in all of my drafts. Uh, especially late. And then one more, like, maybe two more, uh, two rookies. Brandon Ayuk is interesting, but he's got the injury he's dealing with, so that's a little bit harder to navigate. And then Brian Edwards, who uh, has found himself a starting role yep. and uh, really might be kind of the the perfect blend within that offense of athleticism and, um, you know, like wide receiver production. Like, he was productive in college, but he is athletic um, you know, not to the extent of someone like Henry Ruggs, but um he he actually might be like the better all all around wide receiver. So he's someone late who is intriguing to me.
1: Yeah, I actually um another that was another guy that I spoke about on the mailbag because Brian Edwards looks like and, and if you are not aware, anybody out there, Tyrell Williams I believe is out for the whole season. Yeah. Um so Brian Edwards you know, has the body type that fits in best for the type of player that Williams may have been in that offense. And then also, this was a guy in the SEC broke out at 17.8. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of compelling reasons to like him. And it looks like now he might get more of an opportunity than we would have thought as we started to approach the season. Um, and here's
2: one more thing yep. with, with Edwards. Um He didn't work out at the Combine, so some people are like, oh, we don't really know how athletic he is. But when he was a recruit, so when he was like 16, 17, we'll say when he was like 17, he was 6'3", 209, and ran a 4.53 second 40 time, like as a recruit. like That is phenomenal for someone to do that when they are that young. Like If he had done that now, like at the Combine, we would have been satisfied. So he's probably bigger or, like, just as big, but probably significantly faster because that's, like, the trend that you normally see yep. when guys get in college. Uh, they get a little, you know, a little bit bulkier, but they also get a lot faster. So, like, Edwards is a legit athlete.
1: Yeah, there's no question about it. The guy is definitely a professional athlete. Um, we're going to come back to the Raiders in a couple of questions. But first, I know for some people they are having an internal debate in their drafts, when they get to the spot where they have to pick between Derrick Henry or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, do you have a preference between those two?
2: And that might uh, be a yeah. caveat.
1: Let's just say it's a PPR league.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I prefer Edwards-Hilaire. Um, I think I'm probably in the minority in this. Um, and I should say, I, you know, like, within my spreadsheets, within the projections, you know, I have the ability to kind of, like, click around, like, adjust some numbers to see how that would impact things. And uh, originally, once Damian Williams opted out um, and I adjusted things, Edwards Allaire was my number three running back in PPR. But that felt just a little too rich based on some of my touchdown assumptions. So I bumped him down, and then now he's just behind Derrick Henry. But um, I just, like... I know he has the upside. Like, what if some of my original touchdown assumptions were correct? Uh, Or, like, what if some of my original receiving assumptions were correct? Uh, He has the upside. Whereas, I feel like Derrick Henry, I'm probably, I mean, it's a median projection, but I feel like that median is kind of closer to his ceiling. Like, I'm projecting him closer to his ceiling. Like, so much went right for Derrick Henry last year. But if even just a little thing goes wrong, like that offense takes a step back or Ryan Tannehill uh, isn't as good or maybe they throw the ball more or like whatever the situation is, like Derrick Henry just doesn't score as many touchdowns. Um, He doesn't take the step forward as a receiver that people think or hope he might take. Then then his ceiling is pretty capped. Derrick Mm -hmm. Henry has a really high floor. So if that's what you're focused on and it's a projectable floor, if that's what you're focused on, then take Derrick Henry because like you have a pretty good sense of what you're getting. With Edwards Alaire, there's much more that is unknown, but like within what is unknown, I feel like there's actually quite a bit that's known. Like we know that Edwards Alaire is a 21-year-old first-rounder who was productive in college and who's a great receiving back. And we know that his quarterback, his Patrick Mahomes, and his head coach is Andy Reid, and that offense is great, and that there's no established veteran in front of him. Like, we know those things. Like, that to me means that uh, Edwards-Alaire, like, has a massive ceiling, and I think also a pretty projectable floor because of his rushing workload. So I prefer edwards Allaire, but uh, a lot of smart people I talk to prefer Derrick Henry.
1: You know, one thing I want to touch upon that you mentioned there was how you said that you have Henry projected closer to his ceiling. Um, But what I think is an important distinction here is that the reason that you do isn't necessarily because you're saying that you feel bullish about him. It's just that when a player has a more condensed range of outcomes, inherently your median production is going to be closer to their ceiling. Whereas, you're kind of saying for uh, Edward tolay because there's this larger spread if he's going to be at his meeting, he's going to be further away from his ceiling,
2: yeah, and it's a situation if like you you look at the the Tennessee backfield, they kept literally just two running backs, you know like there the ball has to go to somebody in this run heavy offense, and it's probably not going to be Darrington Evans all that often, so there's only so far down that even in like your medium projection, you can realistically bump Derrick Henry down while still trying to be you know sort of like objective with your your projections so uh yeah I I think you said it perfectly
1: yeah all right so then we have to talk about this backfield now behind Edward Solaire because it's one that I know people are going to be interested in still getting a part of DeAndre Washington was released who do you go to now is it Darrell Williams any hope for Darwin Thompson what are you thinking
2: uh, I think it's Daryl Williams. I mean Me uh you know, there were rumblings uh coming out of camp that Williams, you know, was playing better than DeAndre Washington and that, you know, he was getting the first team reps whenever Edwards Alaire wasn't. Uh so I think I think he's the guy. He's for a bigger guy, actually a pretty good receiving back. Uh and because of his size, they could use him on the goal line a little bit more. Yep. So, you know, like maybe that means that Edwards Alaire isn't as um isn't as safe as I thought he was because maybe he won't get some of those touchdowns, but um, I think Williams is going to have something of a role starting in week one. It might not be a massive role, but I think he's going to be the change of pace guy. I'm very annoyed with myself.
1: I think it only ended up with Washington on what comes out to like 12% of the teams that I have, but every single time I was like, yeah, there's a part of me that's saying I should probably go with Williams here who I'm not sure what, you know, ownership percentage I have, but I'm upset with myself about
2: that. Uh 12% for Washington feels high.
1: Yeah, doesn't it? So I'm I'm yeah. annoyed with myself. Um yeah. All right, let's pop back though to um we've been talking about the Raiders a, a, a while ago. Um one thing that might be curious is with Tyro Williams out for the season, yes, maybe Brian Edwards can fill some of that void. But the team is going to have to use some of his target share that's vacated. Do you think any of that can go to or will go to Darren Waller? And if it does, should that kind of move him up a little bit for us in comparison to where we would have drafted him prior to this Williams injury?
2: Uh, Yes. So uh, it did bump Waller up. And uh, you're probably going to hate hearing this, but it actually, for me, uh, in my median projections, bumped Waller above Ertz. Uh, yep. and like, you know, I, I'm not going to take my median projections as like gospel. Like I, I think Ertz has the higher floor relative to Waller. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, part of that is also like why I'm a little less optimistic on Ertz of like, okay, if I, if I want a tight end, maybe Waller is the one that I wait on. But like, why would I go with Waller when I could just get Fant later? And I have like Fant within that same ballpark. So, but anyway, yes.
1: Wait, uh, we got to talk about that more in a second. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: What, did I have fans, like, within the same ballpark? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's not exactly, but, like, it's close enough to where I would just rather go with fans.
1: All right. Um, so, for me, this actually did move Waller up enough that he popped over Mark Andrews. My projections still go Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Waller. Uh, and then I actually have Waller now over Andrews by a decent amount, but I'm curious if you have Fant in the same range as Darren Waller, what do you see as the the separation between them and their like uh receiving yards on the season and then maybe their receptions?
2: Okay, so I mean I'm probably overstating it, but I have I have Fant projected for seven hundred and seventy eight yards. And so it's really not even all that close. Yeah. Uh, I, then I have Waller projected for like nine hundred and forty-one. But okay. the thing the thing is like I I just feel that there's enough similarities between them and there's enough possibilities with Denver's offense and then enough possibilities of fans on his own breaking out, and then enough possibilities of the Las Vegas offense just totally crapping out that I would just rather take the massive discount and get fans.
1: Okay, um, I'm only going to let you have this if you're taking this as just a, like, opportunity cost drafting philosophy type of pers- perspective, because I don't think that you can really, and I'm not sure that th- that is what you're saying, but, like, I don't think that there's much, at least in terms of thinking about their fantasy output, much that you can use to, like, put Fant and Waller in the same grouping.
2: What I'm, what I'm saying is that, yeah, part of it, a big part of it is opportunity cost okay. for drafting. But also, enough of it is, like, the fallibility of projections to where, like, I, I know how sensitive the projections are to certain assumptions. And, like, I'm being as reasonable as I can be with the assumptions I'm making. But, like, I can really see how if just a little bit changes with Las Vegas and just a little bit changes with Denver – they're basically in the same spot.
1: Hmm. Okay. My opinion on that would be I think that we need, in a range of outcomes, Waller to realize his low and Fant to realize his high. All right. So maybe that doesn't require that much crazy to happen. I, I will let you have that. We can press on here. Okay. Um, I talked about James Conner and Jonathan Taylor kind of moving up in the, in the drafts that I'm in. Um, if we're talking now about running backs in round three and round four, which we kind of already did, obviously you've been interested in Cam Akers. Let's say if Cam Akers were to get pushed out of that and rent Cam Akers was going
2: in round two, how interested would you be in that hypothetical? Cam Akers in round two. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's painful in, in part because I have a uh, guy like be anchoring to the value that you could have gotten if you had just drafted Akers in like round five, round six months before, but Uh, yeah, I mean, round two, I don't know, no, like, I would just, at that point, there would be so much wide receiver value on the board, if Akers is going in round two, that um, I would probably be taking a wide receiver instead, like, but I I don't know, I mean, Akers, I have him projected as a low-end RB1, so, you know, like, in theory, there's still value with him, if you're taking him at the end of round two. Like, I don't hate it, but I just, I imagine there's probably a better player you can be taking there.
1: Yep. Okay. Just kind of wanted to gauge how high on Akers you were. I like Akers as well, but for me, like, round two, it's an absolute no way. Um, And ultimately, you're not saying that you would go with him there. We have a couple more topics to get through, but we will come back in a minute after we hear uh, from one of our sponsors. At RotoViz, we love titles. We love hardware. We love
3: championships. We love winning. And we love it when you do it too. In 2020, one thing we want to win with you is the Underdog Fantasy Best Ball Mania $1 million best ball tournament. It's $200,000 to first place. It's only $25 to enter. It's a no brainer. This is like the elite best ball title this year. So you've got to go to UnderdogFantasy.com or download their great Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store on your smartphone device. And you're going to make a deposit. You're going to use code Rotoviz when you make that deposit. Then you're going to go refer five friends, and Underdog and Rotoviz will give you a free entry into the Best Ball Mania tournament. So it's, it's kind of like a two for one. You sign up, you put in 25 bucks, you enter the Best Ball Mania tournament, you get five buddies to play, you use code Rotoviz, you get a free entry. No brainer, guys. Let's chase that glory. 200 grand. $25 is too pricey for you. They've got a $5 tournament called The Bubble, and you can win twenty grand in that bad boy. Their app is slick. You click on the player's name. You see the ownership. You see the latest news and notes. You can draft from that app with no problem. Man, they really knocked it out of the park with this product, and I can't wait for you to try it. So go to underdogfantasy.com today. Make a deposit and use code ROTOViz and chase that
1: glory. I have been hearing talks, as I'm sure that you have, that Melvin Gordon is not impressing in camp, that Lindsey is doing a better job, and we could see a situation where Lindsey is the go-to back in this offense and Gordon has to play behind him. You buying into that? And if you are, where does this raise Lindsey's value to?
2: I don't know if I'm really buying into it. I can see how that happens. Um, I mean Lindsay has a great athletic profile and he has back to back seasons of a thousand yards, but um he's not as good receiving as you think he would be given his uh his skill set or his athleticism. And so I think Gordon still has the edge as a receiver. I think Gordon still has the edge as the goal linebacker, and I would still expect him to get more carries than Philip Lindsay. So uh, maybe Lindsey gets enough of the rushing workload to uh make Gordon less attractive. But I still don't think Lindsay gets enough of the like uh high protein usage to make a significant difference.
1: Yeah, well I think that this is how you play it. Melvin Gordon is in that range where I'm probably not taking running backs anywhere. It's not like um, you know, going to be a focus. Even if I were somebody that was drafting running backs a lot, I might be hesitant to use those picks in that range on them if Lindsey's ADP doesn't rise, he's still kind of in that spot where it's in that sweet spot for zero running back drafting. You're fine just taking him there. Um, so you're not assuming that risk with Gordon that you're getting Lindsey in a spot where he doesn't have to be the main guy to pick up the value. So I've been trying to get him. I was already trying before this story kind of came out. And as long as his ADP doesn't shoot up, which at this point in the summer, I don't think it will, um, you know, I'm going to go with that. We talked about the Philadelphia Eagles already on the show. Alshon Jeffrey seems to have avoided the pup. It's said that he might miss week one, then he's going to be back. Now we might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but if he's in the lineup in week two, can we play him? Should we play him? Should we be expecting good things from Jeffrey?
2: No, I don't think so. And I I don't think he'll play in week two, to be honest. But uh, if he's out there in week two, I can see him being on a snap count. There are enough, like, other weapons out there. And, you know, I, I don't want Alshon at all.
1: Okay. um, So he's one of those players. He's just past the point where even if you're getting him at a screaming value, like around 17, it just doesn't... Actually, so let me say it differently. Perhaps you're not playing him. But would you be interested in drafting him if you're getting him in, like, the last round to see what could develop with him?
2: Mm, probably
1: not. Okay. All right. So... The final thing I want to do now, Matt, is an exercise where we're going to read through FF, PC, ADP. I'm going to read you the players in each round, and you're just going to pick out the one that you like the most in that round. So this is kind of starting at a point in the draft where I think there's not as many positional considerations. And just in the vacuum of these players in the round that it is, tell me who you like the most. Round 12. Perrin- okay, actually,
2: I, actually, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say what um
1: feel free to, to to take this a different direction if you want to we don't need to stick with this with this
2: what segment. is the time frame that you're using for this
1: okay that's a good question so the time frame that i'm using for this well we actually have the ability to choose it so um
2: let me um so I'm looking at the FFPC dashboard at yep. roto Yeah, that's is what, that what you're too. looking at. Yeah, and no, I was looking okay. at the ADP draft grid. So that's yep.
1: going, um, right now, it defaults to August 22nd to okay. today, which what, is the 5th.
2: What, uh, what do you want to use?
1: Why is that fine with you, you? You want to up it to or, like uh, the 31st, August 31st? Yeah, make,
2: make it a little more recent, yeah. Yep. okay.
1: Oh, you know what, Matt? Actually, we need to talk about this. I think I forgot to do this question, and this is probably pretty topical for people. What do you make of uh, Leonard Fournette?
2: Uh, I think it's a pain for everyone who likes <laughs> Ronald Jones. But um, I have him around running back 30, Ronald Jones around running back 40. And I think that LaShawn McCoy is going to play kind of like a super version of the, of the uh, Dare Ugambawale role from last year where he's the main receiving back, but I think he also will get enough carries to cap the ceiling of uh, Fournette and Rojo.
1: Yeah, I have um, Fournette as like a fringe RB2. I'm a little bit higher on him than you. He's one of those guys that when I'm in the draft, I'm going to tinker with the idea. If he's there in like the fourth, maybe the fifth, I'll think about it, but I'm never actually going to end up doing it. So I can't actually recommend to people that they go out there and do it. Does there appear to be tremendous upside? I guess you could say yes. But in an offense where it looks like every player has a lot of upside, to me the odds that Fournette is the one that realizes it are pretty low, which is why I'm not going to go out of my way in any way to draft Fournette. All right. You want to look at this draft grid?
2: Yeah. So starting in round 12 and uh, starting on August 31st. So instead of you naming all of the players in each round, yep. Uh, I'll just eyeball it right, and identify a guy I like. Yep. Um, okay, so at running back, I like Duke Johnson. Um, I think he has a chance actually to seize control of the backfield if David Johnson uh, falters. Um, if I want to go quarterback, I'd go with Roethlisberger. Um, but those are the two guys that I'm sort of identifying uh, within that round. Also, I'll go Eric Ebron. Uh, I think he has some touchdown potential with uh, okay. Ben Roethlisberger. So that's round 12. Uh, round 13, um, the guys who stand out to me most are uh, at quarterback, Gardner Minshew, uh, and at running back, uh, A.J. Dillon. In fact, like he's the only running back going in that round, but I think he has some zero RB potential. Uh, do you have any questions you wanted to ask on rounds 12 and 13?
1: No, I don't. I just will highlight, too, um, Gardner Minchu, I actually think you can make a compelling case about being, ex- well, maybe not excited about, but you can make a case that in terms of these lower quarterbacks, he probably has a decent shot of making his way to being a fringe QB1. Um, so I'm actually putting him on a fair amount of my teams.
2: Go yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, round 14, uh, someone who stands out to me is the guy we talked about uh, at the beginning of the show, Sammy Watkins. Um, I think, like, I have him projected roughly for the same amount of production as Miko Hardman, and I think he's kind of similar in that uh, if he is productive, it will probably be uh, in a volatile fashion, Uh, but Watkins... Uh, given the offense he's in, uh, given how often he's playing, like he's out there, you know, like 80% of the snaps uh, when healthy. Um, yeah, I, I like him in, in round 14. So he's the one who uh, who really catches my eye there.
1: Okay. Oh, can I ask you a question? Because um, this is a yeah. player that we're going to, that will in league still probably go somewhere between 13 to 15, maybe even higher. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, just, and, and no longer even a thought about picking him, right?
2: he's dead okay yeah okay yeah okay uh round 15 um is there's some i mean there's really no one here except for uh daryl williams and i'd say like maybe if there are people who are still like clinging to the ghost of in Kill harry uh because he was a first rounder last year and you know like he should be out there playing lots of snaps uh maybe he's someone who would be intriguing but uh daryl Re- williams is really the one guy who stands out to me in this round okay Keep going. Okay. Uh, Round 16, uh, Tyrod Taylor uh, at quarterback stands out to me immediately. Yep. Uh, I would be happy streaming him in one quarterback leagues if I had to, but uh, in two quarterback leagues especially, uh, he's a target for me. Uh, And then LaVisca Chenault uh, as the wide receiver I would want in this round. Uh, And, you know, maybe in some leagues he's sneaking up into rounds 14 or 15 or something like that. But uh, if you can get him at his ADP here in round 16, uh, I just love the value there.
1: So um, Mike Beers and I did a main event team the other night that uh, Davis Maddock just happened to be in. We had the 12th pick. He had the ten, And um, I believe it was him that got Juju the pick before we wanted him. And then he also got LaVisca the pick before we wanted him later on. And I was very salty about that. Um, I I can't imagine. Yes, I was very salty about that. You know, it was really annoying, too, because before every pick that Davis made, we had a pretty good idea he was going to be looking at the same guy we weren't. It just about played out that way. But anyways.
2: Yeah, yeah. We can continue. Uh, Okay, round 17, uh, Brian Edwards uh, is the guy who stands out to me. And then also at running back, uh, Benny Snell, who I think could totally smash uh, if James Conner falters for some reason.
1: Yep. Um, can I ask you a question here as I'm looking at this yes. board? <laughs> Royce Freeman is actually popping up in the grid for me. Why in the world is anybody drafting Royce Freeman?
2: I, I have no idea. They're just they, – they don't they know, you know, or like they they just like to burn money. I, I really don't know. Okay. Uh, I'm going to
1: ask you another question, though, Um, before yeah. I forget. Devonta Freeman, are you interested in all at drafting him? Perhaps a team like Washington ends up hmm. signing him.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. So he's going off the board in round 18, uh, and, I mean, that's where, like, a whole bunch of kickers are going off the board, but, no, I'm not really interested in him. In fact, in in round 18, there's no one that I really look at and I'm like, oh, this, I need this guy. Like, maybe Steven Sims, like, he could end up getting more volume than anticipated uh, in Washington just because there's really no one else there. But, uh, yeah, there's really no one in round 18 I want.
1: Got it. And since things are starting to get sparse, just let me know if there's any other guys as you're looking here that give you any excitement.
2: Okay, nothing in round 18. In round 19, uh, like, I don't know, I mean, Giovanni Bernard stands out to me a little bit because uh, we've seen in the past what he's been able to do when Joe Mixon has been injured, like he's been an RB1. So he's kind of intriguing in, uh, in that Joe Burrow offense. Maybe he could actually kind of play a little bit of a Clyde Edwards-Alaire type of role as a receiving back. So he's someone who intrigues me a little bit late. Uh, Hunter Renfro also because I think he could be getting more targets than people expect. Uh, You know, he's going to be starting. We saw what he did in his final eight games of the season last year where he was, you know, like a guy who was being targeted fairly regularly and had, you know, like 500 yards or so in eight games. So... Like he's decent there in round nineteen. Um in round twenty, uh man, I'm not going to put too much stock in the Malcolm Brown is going to start for the Rams in week one reports. Like that might happen, but I don't think he's gonna be the lead back. So I will say like uh Kenny Stills at at the wide receiver seventy four in round like twenty. That. Yeah, he he stands out to me because all all it takes is an injury to one of the guys in front of him, and all of those guys, uh, like, have injury issues. Like, Will Fuller, uh, Brandon Cooks, and uh, Randall Cobb, like, all three of them are guys you can see suffering an injury, and Kenny Stills can play any of the wide receiver positions. So, um, yeah, I I don't hate him at all. uh, And then if
1: if David Johnson gets hurt, too. um, Yeah you know, he's a player that some people might be thinking are going to get some look at targets. So that's not to say that Stills is going to start playing running back, but it takes away another person that could potentially get used. You know, so if he's hurt, obviously Duke Johnson can catch the ball as well. But you can see a case where this team just has to use him.
2: Yeah. So uh, really no one in round 21 who stands out to me. Uh, In round 22, Brian Hill um, as the running back 74 is a little bit interesting because I think if Todd Gurley doesn't work out, Brian Hill might end up being the lead back uh, in Atlanta. So he's someone who's intriguing to me. Uh, t- at tight end, uh, Devin Asiasi, uh, I mean, it's, it's thin at that point. Like, he's the tight end 34, and it's like, do you really want to depend on a rookie tight end? But uh, he's got potential, and I do think that um, the Patriots offense is going to be actually a little tight end focused. Like, I think they're going to be running a lot of two tight end sets. So he's someone who, uh, who is at least intriguing. And, like, man, I don't know if I even want to say this name, but Mitchell Trubisky as the quarterback 34, like, it looks like he's going to be the starter in week one. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know. Like, you, you could probably do a lot worse than Mitch Trubisky if you're picking this late in the draft. Like, as long as he's the starter, like, I mean, he, he should probably be rostered.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. This is another case of where it doesn't really matter the results that this player is giving you from a football perspective. When you have a quarterback that does have some rushing ability, and we've seen a couple of times where Trubisky's had some really good weeks, he's a perfectly fine option. Sucks for me, though, because I did have a team in the Dynasty League that is absolutely stacked, except that the only quarterback I have is Nick Foles, and this is a league where you have a super flex situation. And I thought that with Nick Foles and my absolutely loaded wide receiver core, we'd be able to get through things. Um, no quarterback. I'm not happy about that. James Washington, I have seen go very late in some drafts. I have been interested in him. Another guy that I've been using late was Lynn Bowden Jr., who is now going to be on the Dolphins. Does this change your perception for
2: him? Uh, I mean, it looks like they actually might use him as a wide receiver. So it actually does change some things pretty significantly because, I mean, yep. he's not going to be getting, he's not be getting <laughs> a lot of carries. So, yep. uh, yeah, uh, so it, it does change things quite a bit. A couple more guys to hit on really quickly. So um, in round 23, Tra- uh, Traquan Smith is kind of interesting. Uh, John Ross a little bit in round 23. Uh, in 24, uh, nobody. Uh, let me see, kind of continuing to look down. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Andy Isabella in round 26, uh, is kind of interesting, uh, especially if we do see more, uh, four wide receiver sets in Arizona. And they, um, they like cut Putty Butler, in, didn't they? Yeah, they did. So, so that's, I, that's, I do that's think an important it's going nugget for Isabella. people. Yeah. 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 So uh, he's someone who's who's interesting there, um, and we can we can leave. It, you know, actually yeah. one more round twenty okay. round twenty eight. Uh, Mike Davis is now like the locked in handcuff for um, McCaffrey for Christian for Christian McCaffrey, and uh, it is kind of funny that he's going as like the last pick in the draft in FFPC, which means that like that would be like the Christian McCaffrey owners uh, getting Mike Davis and handcuffing. But anyway, he's going to be the handcuff. Uh, the, the backup in Carolina. And then Danny Amendola, like, he is a starter. Um, we know he's going to be running regular slot slot routes. Um, you know, he's had some, some decent games in the past. He has Matt Stafford returning. Like, Danny Amendola should not be going as the wide receiver 100. Like, I know he doesn't seemingly have all that much upside, but I don't know. I mean, he should be going like his, like at least like the wide receiver 75 or something like that. You know what I mean? So, like, yep. there's in theory some value there. I think
1: that if you're somebody that's in a spot in your draft where you're saying, I want a receiver that I can just get some production from and you're not really looking for upside, he's one of those guys that would make sense at that price tag uh, because there are going to be spots. And this is, I think, even like, you know, without an injury to the guys ahead of him just given the nature of that receiving core where, you know, maybe you could pick up five points in a week if you need. Uh, So I like that. Any other players or just topics or anything that you want to hit, Matt, before we close down this week?
2: Yeah, one more guy. Uh, I'm looking in round 27. JJ Ortega-Whiteside. Like, people are leaving him for dead, and that's probably, like, the realistic thing, but, you know, he was a second rounder who was productive in college and he has good athleticism. Uh, and it looks like he's going to get opportunities early in the year. Once again, um, he's someone that, uh, like stands out to me at this point in the draft. Like he, he has, he has upside, like he has potential. And to get him this late, I think is really good value.
1: Before we close down. Um, I forget, Honestly, if it was last season, might have even been the season before where we uh, essentially held a funeral for Randall Cobb's fantasy career with him now in Houston. Are we digging that grave up and bringing him back to the the land of useful players?
2: I mean, he's useful in that, like, he'll probably have like 800 yards or so, something like that. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like he's actually not that much more useful than Danny Amendola. You know what I mean? And, like, you can get him a lot cheaper.
1: All right. I think that's the perfect way for us to close things down. As always, thank you for listening to roto Radio. Thank you to our sponsors, DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket, Underdog Bet Online, and the FFPC. If you've enjoyed being with us throughout the summer, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you've already subscribed, unsubscribe subscribe again, um, you can get 10% off a Rotoviz subscription. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for details. We will be back with you during the season. That's going to do it. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at and at and email us at, rotovizradio at gmail.com. as you can probably tell, I am recording this At a very disjointed time from when we we actually when we actually recorded the episode i'm just messed up there the wait is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet today to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, Bet Online, your online sports book experts.